What's up, Red Rocks? How are you guys? Good. Hey, go ahead and take a seat. Thank you for being here. Oh, man, we are eight months into this whole crazy church planting adventure, and it's so cool, man, to see what God has done so far, and we're just so grateful for every one of you, and I feel like I tell you that every week, but I feel like God wants me to, and when the big man upstairs says, say this on repeat, you say it on repeat. You just do, and so welcome to Red Rocks. I believe in this message today with all of my heart, and it's not like I don't on the other weeks, but like, man, I... Like, I this is personal, and I just, I feel this, and I'm, I'm so excited for the next 32, 33 minutes, and, and tonight I want to speak to you like you already are a leader, like you're already bought in for this mission, and I, I'm not talking the mission of Red Rocks Church, I'm talking about the mission of Jesus, to say the cross before me, the world behind me, and I got a feeling there's a lot of you in here, and that's amazing. If that's not you, that's completely okay, I just want to make sure the only reason is not is it, that it's not isn't because nobody's called you to that level of faith and that level of living yet and so in this space today you will be built up and you will be encouraged but you will also be challenged and you know I just believe that the human soul craves both of those things I really do man I think we we like to be called to new levels and challenged and convicted and so I want to read for you two texts one from the Old Testament, we're going to go Old Testament for one, and then we're going to go New Testament for one before we go any further, because what I want to show you is God's plan for the world, essentially. And I want to show you that his patterns have been consistent ever since the very beginning. For thousands of years, God's plan has been God's people. And so here we go, Joshua 3, the next one we will read is John 17, so if you're type A, if you're an overachiever, you can go ahead and get there so you'll be there when it's time. Joshua 3, 1 through 4, here we go. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from beep, like, nice try God, but not saying it. They set out from that place and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. And after three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to all the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. So pause there. So back before Jesus tore the veil in two, back before God resided in human beings, God's presence would reside in either the temple, the tabernacle, or a box called the Ark of the covenant. And so this is where the presence of God is. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go. And then I love this part of the verse, since you have never been this way before. God calls his people, the Israelites, to where they've never been before. So what's that called? That's called the unknown. And so God is calling his people, saying to his people, follow my presence, follow my presence where you've never been before into the unknown so that through you, the world will know. 
Okay, so fast forward 1,500 years to Jesus, which we're about to read in John 17, and you're going to see the exact same pattern that ever since the beginning, God's plan has been God's people because Jesus is about to challenge them in the exact same way. Check this out. This is his final prayer on planet Earth, okay? My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through them, through their message. He's talking about believers, through them, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then tune in right here. Then the world will know, then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. And so tonight I want to speak to you on the topic, then the world will know. It's the title of this message, then the world will know. And so, God, we shut out distraction right now. Whatever we walked in here with, help us to lay it down. Help us to be present. You're, you're, you're always present. It's us who aren't. Help us to be right here and right now. You're not interested in the past or the future or tomorrow or yesterday. You are right here. Help us to be too. We love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, one of the coolest, craziest things I've ever gotten to do was go bungee jumping. Has anybody been bungee jumping? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. This was, a, this was back in college in New Zealand. This was back in my life, like before the part of your brain that uh, tells you not to do dangerous and stupid things fully develops. And I, I think in males, it doesn't fully develop until you're like 25, right? Or like 35 or 65, or I don't know. Like, I'll let you know when it does. I'll keep you updated. But uh, so like my friends and I, we show up to this rickety wobbly bridge that spans across this rocky gorge 300 feet above this raging river. And the first thought that comes to my mind is, well, obviously the right thing to do is to tie a giant rubber band to my foot and jump off the bridge, right? And so I buy a ticket and I get in line. And while I'm in line, I witness and experience the two most different bungee jumping experiences that a human being can have, okay? And the first one is a guy who was about 30 years old who was like deathly afraid of heights. Anybody in here afraid of heights? Okay, okay, feel better about yourself just generally because not as much as this guy, okay? Like, we'll call, we'll call him Carl. I don't know if that's his real name, but we'll just call him Carl. Carl would rather swim in the open ocean with great white sharks than climb like a stepladder, right? Like Carl would rather go to the dentist for 10 hours than, than stand on his tippy toes for 10 minutes or 10 seconds, you know, like horrified of heights. And so naturally his buddies, because they're good buddies, peer pressure him into going bungee jumping. They even buy his ticket. He can't say no. And so he does it and he gets in line, gets to the front, gets the, the bungee cord strapped to him, which, which by the way, is just like Velcro that gets wrapped around your ankles a few times is all it is. And then Carl like scoots out to the 
the edge of the platform, which here's another, by the way, as soon as you cross like the, the red line, the bungee workers are legally not allowed to, to touch you, okay? And that's gonna be a very important detail in about 30 seconds, okay? And so picture Carl, oh, this is scary. Okay, picture Carl, bungee cord around his ankles, terrified of heights for 15 minutes. This is not an exaggeration, okay? Usually they say, hey, take like 10 seconds at the most and then jump because we got like a little bit of a line. 15 minutes, he stood there like shaking, right? Like palms sweaty, knees weak, his arms are heavy, and that's not a good joke. That's tired, it's been done too much, I'm sorry. But thank you for the pity laugh, I appreciate it. And he's just like looking down at this river 300 feet below him and can't get the courage to jump until finally like the crowd starts counting down. And I don't know what it is about guys in countdowns, like as soon as a crowd starts counting down for you to do something, it's like this invisible, ethereal authority or power that you come beneath where you now have to do it as soon as they get to zero. And Carl knows this and he's like, guys, stop, stop counting down because now I have to go. And they finally get to five, four, three, two, one, and Carl works up just the, the courage to take one little step off the platform, but how many know all you need is one little step? The problem is he's an overthinker and right away rethinks it and right away immediately panics, not cool under pressure, and turns around as he's stepping off and grabs the platform as he's falling. And so this is now Carl like holding on to the platform, okay? Like, and so he is thinking in his mind, he's like, if I let go of this platform, I will die. I am 300 feet above a raging river. There was probably crocodiles in it. I can't prove that, but you also can't prove there wasn't. It's New Zealand. It makes the story better. Guys, 300 feet above a croc-infested river, Carl is just hanging on this platform, and the employees are not allowed to help him. And to me, that's really the best part of this whole story. That gives me the most joy. And his buddies are over there laughing. Oh, show me your friends. I'll show you your future, Carl. This is your future right here. <laughs> he holds on for about two minutes as long as he can until his fingers fail him and he bungee jumps. <laughs> this is real, all right? And so I'm like, hey, I guess you can like go home and tell all your friends, yeah, I went bungee jumping in New Zealand as long as you leave literally every single detail out of the story. Oh, Carl, total panic. So right after him, this 12-year-old girl, 12 years old, her name was Kaylin. That was her real name because I talked to her in line. And she was nervous, but she really wanted to go bungee jumping, and she knew she could do it. And so she stepped up to the platform, and her palms are sweaty too. And she looks over at her mom, who's just so proud. My 12-year-old daughter's bungee jumping. And her mom smiles at her, she smiles at her mom and takes a deep breath and just, and dives. The most graceful jump dive that 
we saw all day. So you've got Carl, <laughs> and then you've got Kaylin. The two most different experiences that you could possibly have doing the exact same thing. And over the years for me, this story really has become a perfect picture for the two ways that we as human beings step into and embrace the unknown. You get where I'm going with this? Like, let's go back to Joshua and the Israelites. Joshua, right now in Joshua 3, he's Moses' successor, and he's leading approximately 2 million Jews into the unknown. Now, the Old Testament, the Jews are God's chosen people, okay? So God is keeping a promise that he made to a man named Abraham that he would take his people, a small, meager Ain't nothing special about them, group of people, and he would make them great. He would make them great. God is, is taking a small group of people called the Israelites and making, making them a spectacle to the entire world, okay? And so you, you fast forward thousands of years later, and God is actually still up to the exact same thing, following the, following the exact same patterns as he did back then. I believe with all of my heart, with all of my heart, that God wants to take a small group of people called Red Rocks Church and make this group, this church, this people a spectacle to Austin so that they may know. And before you say, well, that's really bold to say, I agree with you. 100%. But follow me here. Knowing what I know about the bigness of God and knowing what I know about his heart that all of his kids come to know him, not to say that and not to believe that would not only be sad, it would be negligent. I believe that. You and I are now accountable to the fact that we know what God is capable of. And you and I are now a part of the family that you read about in the Old Testament, God's chosen people, the church, the only organization that exists for its non-members. And we too are to follow the presence of God into the unknown where we've never been before so that through us, through people, the world may know because God's plan has always been his people. His people, man. Like, we, we're here because we're going to find family, and we're here because we're going to heal and discover purpose and dig into our faith and go deeper and do the roots, right? But first and foremost, we exist so that people can come home and know Jesus. If not that, then we might as well not be here, right? Charles Spurgeon was the prince of preachers. I want you to, to listen to what he said. This is a Charles Spurgeon quote. I would sooner bring one sinner to Jesus Christ than unravel all the mysteries of the divine word. For salvation is the one thing, the one thing we are to live for. May we always risk to reach. May we always sacrifice as a people to see God save, right? May we never get so comfortable like so many Christians are tempted to do. May we never get so comfortable in the known that we, we, we hold on for dear life while God is calling us forward to where we've never been before so that others through us may finally know the name Jesus Christ. Because here's the, here's the thing. Like, let's be honest about this ethereal word 
the unknown, right? Like, let's be honest about it. It's not this choice that only the few and the brave will make, and we'll write movies about them. The unknown is a fact of reality that is coming for every single one of us, whether we want it to or not. Today is August 25th, 2019, and guess what? Nobody's ever been here before. We're moving into the unknown whether we like it or not. Like, life is truly just like one big string of variables and randomness, right? And the idea that we can, we can have control, in my opinion, is like, is such an illusion. So often we think, oh, the peace that transcends understanding. I'll finally have it when I finally solve the unknown and the randomness of my life. And the truth is, no, you'll finally have it when you can um, em embrace the unknown and the randomness of your life and leap into it because into it is where the presence of God is and the safest place to be is where the presence of God is even if that place happens to me right smack dab in the middle of the unknown. We step into it, we leap into it, not because we understand it, but because the one who, hold it does, who holds it does. We leap forward into the unknown. And, and as a church right now, man, we, we're kind of standing on like the brink of a little bit of unknown here into a, a, a season where we've never been before. And, and this should be like a repeating pattern that happens in this place, right? But I'll tell you this, we did not start this church to play it safe. We did not start this church to, to play defense, right? We started this church to play offense. And I know this might sound cliche, and that's okay because it's true. We can either jump into it and leap into it, or we can for as long as possible hold on to what we know and what's familiar until our grip and our fingers inevitably fails us and we go anyways. And I I'm just submitting that we dive head first. I'm just submitting that we don't be... Carl. <laughs> and so, first things first. Here's what we're diving headfirst into right now as a church. Starting September 8th, that's two weekends from right now, we are changing up our service times so that we can add a third service, which has been a big celebration for us. Like, so cool, God, all that you're doing. Because this room's filling up. Our poor little parking lot is, is overflowing, right? And more people keep coming and we wanna make room. It's so cool, it's such like a, a privilege to get to add a third service and we wanna add one in the morning at 11 a.m. because there's not a single church planting book out there that would tell you to plant a church and have your services on Sunday evening like we have been doing. And so, um, so we're gonna have that and then we're gonna keep two evening services but they're each gonna be pushed about an hour and so we'll have this at 5 p.m. and we'll have it at at 7 p.m., and there's a lot of reasons for all of that. This is not the, the time to get into it, but a lot of thought and prayer was put into this. The biggest reason is because, um, man, one of our greatest prayers has been that we would have the privilege of getting to be a home for a lot of UT students, and uh, we won't go into that now, but 
11, 5, and 7. Kids rock at the 11 and the 5. And so this is, a, this is a huge celebration, but it's also the unknown at the exact same time. And I mean that less for my staff and more for our amazing volunteers and our, our leadership here that serve so many fun yet exhausting hours on a Sunday with no day off on Monday to transform this building, which is in no way, shape, or form designed for a church into a church, right? And so can we make some noise? for all of our volunteers right now. 11, 5, and 7. It even rolls off the tongue. 11, 5, and 7. That was the main reason. No, I'm kidding. We've never been this way before. Now, fast forward from Joshua to Jesus. Jesus, his final night on this planet. Jesus, in his final prayer, does not decide to pray for the world. Jesus decides to pray for the believers in the world. I want you to get that. He doesn't decide to pray for Austin. He decides to pray for the church in Austin. Rich Wilkerson Jr. would say it this way. The hope of any community is found in the believers of that community, which means the hope of Austin is not found in tacos or technology, the hope of Austin is found in the believers in Austin, in you guys, in us. And that's why Jesus is praying for you because his plan is not a building or a program or a third service. Those things are simply just tools. His plan always has been and always will be his people. And I want that to sink in. In his final prayer ever, Jesus prays for the storytellers of the gospel. Jesus prays for the goers and the sharers. Jesus prays for his church. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church that came out of the mouth of Jesus. And not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against it. Upon the rock, this rock, I will build my church and it will be an unstoppable force. Not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against it. So think with me for a little bit. What are gates? Gates are a defense mechanism for a lowercase kingdom playing defense. That's the kingdom of hell playing defense against the church. So literally, Jesus just said, not even hell is safe from the church. And so what do we have to be afraid of about the unknown when literally right now hell is afraid of what God might do through this group of people in this room? Like, what do we have to be afraid of when we know who is on our side and who sits on the throne in heaven over all of creation right now? What do we have to be afraid of? Because one day, hundreds of years from now, historians will, will look back on this era of the church and they will tell stories about this era of the church. And what kind of stories will they tell? Will they write about a church that, that played defense from the rest of the world and, and played it safe and hunkered down and, and just kind of held on for dear life to anything that was comfortable or known? Or will they tell stories of a few men and a few women who played offense with house money, 
who dared enough and had courage enough to follow the presence of God, leaping into the unknown where they've never been before because they understood that their lives were wrapped up in something so much bigger than them. This is about Austin knowing the name Jesus Christ. And God's plan for that dream is his people. Have you ever thought about like what, what God dreams about? That's kind of a funny question. What does God dream about? Does God even dream? Like we do, and we are made in his image, in the image of a God who dreams. Here's one of them, one of God's dreams. 1 Timothy 2, 4 through 6. He wants not only us, but everyone. You guys say everyone. All his kids to be saved. Everyone to get to know the truth we have learned that there's one God and only one and one priest mediator between God and us, and that's Jesus. Everyone. Jesus, who offered himself in exchange for everyone held captive by sin to set them all free and then tune in right here. Eventually, eventually this news is going to get out. Eventually, this news is going to get out. And so that brings us full circle to finally the title of this series, which is Secrets Out. The secret is out. And I want you to hear my heart with what I'm about to say. This has nothing to do with a cool building. This has nothing to do with a fun culture or good music or cool raincoats that are so lightweight that you can wear them in August. <laughs> I was supposed to say that. <laughs> Nothing to do with, like, let's be clear, this has everything to do with a people. God's plan is a people. The church is not a place. The church is a people, right? The church is not a place. The church is a people. And so, I look at this group of people, and I believe this with all my heart. I think you should believe this about your church. Whatever church it is that you call home, you should believe it. I think this people, this amazing, sold-out, generous, real, passionate group of people, this church, is right now the best-kept secret in Austin. And like Paul is saying, that secret is now getting out. Come. Experience what God thinks about you. Come. Experience a God who wants to personally know you. And the way they know him is through his kids who already do know him. That's how the secret gets out. It's like when you're in high school and your parents go out of town, so you throw a party. I don't know this from experience. I have to say that because my parents will watch this. I don't know this from experience, okay? But those of you who do, 
It's like when you're in high school and your parents are out of town, so you throw a party and like you want to keep it like under control, and so you just tell a few people, and you tell them not to tell anybody other than the few people that they tell, as long as they tell those people not to tell anybody, because that always works, right? Because eventually, it's going to start spreading like a wildfire until you no longer have control over the guest list. What's that called? That's called Secrets Out. I lived with Ryan and Ethan in college the year we... Uh, we all got saved and started following Jesus. We lived in the most stereotypical college guy house you've ever seen. Like whatever you're picturing, multiply it by 100, you've got it, okay? This was the University of Colorado. Now I tell people that story and I'll have people all the time say, you found Jesus at CU. And they like laugh, they're like, they're like dumbfounded by it, right? Which I get. And you understand right now, people are saying that about UT. People don't find Jesus at UT. That's what people say, right? And I always kind of correct people and I say, hey, just so we're clear, he found me. And you bet he found me in the middle of that campus, right? I have the same like well-meaning Christians come tell me like, man, you moved to, to Austin, Texas to start a church? Like that is not the smartest thing to do. You shouldn't start a church in Austin because there's no Christians in Austin as if that's like a good reason to not go there and start a church. Like I'm serious. Three weeks ago, I had a conversation with a guy in Denver after church who came up and shook my hand in the lobby. And like it, was a, it wasn't really a conversation because he just talked at me the whole time but like he wouldn't let go of my hand or break eye contact and he told me this and I'm not kidding he said you need to get out of Austin as fast as you can dear God that city God be with them that city Christians should not be in Austin Texas and I'm like like smiling nodding like is this a joke this wasn't a joke I'm like how can you be a Christian your whole life and say that with a straight face Seriously, <laughs> back to the story. <laughs> Our college house, okay. <laughs> that was a rant, but it worked, it worked. It's important. Back to our house, right down the street from us, there was a sorority, and our goal that year, other than studying, and volunteering in the community, um, <laughs> was to get as many of those girls to come hang out at our house as possible, right? Like, obviously, you're a college guy, that's the goal. Like, we tell you all the time, like, the reason we started going to church in college was for the cute girls. It's not a lie. Like, it's real. Some of you guys do that in here. Keep coming. Just don't be weird. Just keep coming. <laughs> And don't be weird, and we won't have a problem. Just keep coming. That's what we did. Okay, so, oh gosh, I gotta finish this story. Okay, so, one day, our roommate Pat came home from school, from, from college, he came home from class with two baby ducks. You heard me right, with two baby ducks, okay? <laughs> I don't know what, like, he, his, he was a bio major, did he like minor in birds? Or it's like, well, it was just like his senior project. I can't remember. He's told me a million times. I can't remember. It was part of his thesis, his senior project. So he brought home baby ducks. Eventually, the word got out that at our house, there were baby ducks. So eventually, girls from every sorority 
were coming to our house to see the baby ducks. Like, this is so stupid, but it's real. This actually happened. Uh, and, like, what we found out later on was all of, like, th there was word getting around about the house that, that the quote-unquote duck boys lived in. <laughs> we were known as the duck boys around CU's campus. And to us, when we found out about that, we're like, hey, call us the duck boys. Call us whatever you want. You know who we are, and you know where to find us, right? Here's my spiritual transition. Call us Christians, call us religious, call us Jesus freaks, call us whatever you want. You know who we are and you know where to find us on Sunday. Because here's the thing, eventually everybody knows that they need God because eventually you have to put your hope in something beyond your little life. You have to tie your hope to something bigger out there. That is true across the board for every human being. And here's what I've found out. A lot of people out there, they don't really have a problem with Jesus. People don't really have a problem with Jesus. People have problems with Christians, with people who say they follow Jesus. And to that, I would say, that's because you've never been to this church. Come to this church. You should meet this group of people this group of real, authentic, gritty, generous, not afraid to be okay, to not be okay in front of you, group of people, and every single one of them would love to introduce you to Jesus because he's the real secret that's getting out. Not a church, but a savior because no church is perfect, right? Every church will let you down. Dear God, especially this one, if we haven't let you down yet, keep coming. Eventually we will, I promise you, because we can't be all things for all people. But fortunately, that's not what God is calling us to do because he can be all things for all people. And when we're inconsistent, he's not, he's consistent. And when we fail, he doesn't. And what we're not, he is. People might fail you. The messengers of the gospel might fail you, but Jesus, but the creator of everything, but your father in heaven never will. And you can take that to the bank, I promise you. His plan, his plan is his people. And to those of you in this room who would say, I'm not just a, I don't just believe in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus because those are two different things. Here's what I want to say to you. Jesus is praying for you. That'll give you confidence. Jesus Christ is praying for you because you are the hope of this city. Because here's the statistic. 53% of the people out there aren't coming here or any other church. 53%, that means over half the population will never experience what God thinks about them in a church. That means we need to take Jesus to them. That means they need to experience what God thinks about them out there. That means we need to be sold out and walk the walk of our faith out there because his plan has always been and always will be his people. The storytellers, the storytellers of the gospel, the goers and the sharers, his church. And here's the question I'll leave, I'll leave with you. And this is rhetorical. This is for you, just for you, between you and God. And there's no condemnation attached to this question. 
But I have prayed for conviction to attach itself to this question. Conviction can be the most beautiful thing ever. I've been feeling it all week and it's, it's felt so good. Here's the question. Am I living sold out for my faith out there? Or am I not? Am I playing offense or am I playing defense? Am I dipping my toe into this God thing because it's good for me and my family to have a little God in our lives that's good for us? Or am I, am I diving head first into this thing, saying the cross before me and the world behind me? Jesus, take the wheel. Thank you, Carrie Underwood, right? Like, which one of those is it for you? Are you sold out? for your faith or are you not? It's a simple question. And here's just like some ways I think you might be able to tell if you are or not. You might be sold out for your faith if your faith is costing you something. You might be sold out for your faith if your faith is causing you to make major changes in your life. Like when was the last time you let Jesus cross you on something that you've been doing, right? You might be sold out for your faith if your faith causes you to, to leave that or to, to break up with that relationship or to, to be more, more generous here or give more of your time and energy here. Like if your faith is costing you something, you just might be sold out to it. You might be sold out to your faith if, if uh, hanging out with other Christians and talking about everything that's wrong with the American church no longer does it for you. You might be sold out for your faith. You might be sold out for your faith Oh, you might be sold out for your faith if you're starting to realize that deep down, Jesus plus nothing is greater than, than absolutely everything. Everything that I could ever ask for or pray for, you're still gonna ask for it and pray for it. You're called to, God wants you to do that and you do that, but somewhere deep down, you're starting to realize what I really want though is just more Jesus, more of God's presence in my life. You might be following Jesus if that's you. You might be following, you, you might be sold out for your faith if if sin that used to be fun is now like no longer as fun and it's kind of frustrating for you. <laughs> I mean, that's all of us. It's like, man, I've seen too much of the goodness of God and I can't go back. And God's saying, I've got you now. You've seen too much. You've seen too many miracles. You've seen too much of my goodness and what I can do in your life. You've tasted too much life to go back and whatever that is that you're carrying, you can't take it moving forward and that's why you're stuck and that's why you're frustrated, right? You're trying to live an old life with a new heart and making mud pies in a slum was a grand old time until you found out what it means by a holiday at sea. If you're feeling that, you might be getting sold out for your faith. You might be getting sold out for your faith if you're willing to start laying down God-given freedoms in your life for the sake of the people around you, right? Like if you're willing to lay down your freedom to have another drink this Friday night for the sake of the, the company that you're in, because you're a leader and you don't just live saved, you live called. And yes, those are two different things. And to you, making Jesus beautiful to them is higher on your priority list than your rights, even your God-given rights. You might be sold out for your faith. Are you sold out for your faith out there? Or are you not? And I didn't want the only reason that you're not 
to be because nobody's ever called you or challenged you to that next level kind of faith thing. And I wanted to do that today, to build you up and encourage you and tell you that you're doing better than you think you are. And when you're not perfect, God is. And you're not better at sinning than He is at saving you from that. And He's not asking perfection from you. But He is asking that following Him cost you something. Our faith should cost us everything. Everything. And so I, I believe this, by the way, about every church. Not just this one. Every church. However, I can only speak for and dream for this one. All right? But full circle, I, I really, truly believe that God wants to use a small group of people called Red Rocks Church and make it a spectacle to a city that is so desperate for Jesus. And that might be bold to say, I happen to think God likes that. I happen to believe that knowing what I know about the bigness of him and his heart for all of his kids to come home, not to say it and not to believe it would not just be the saddest thing ever, it would actually be negligent. We are accountable for what we know about what God is capable of, man. Leaping into the unknown, into this next season that approaches us as a church. We're not gonna hold on to the known and to, to what's comfortable or to the way things used to be. Like we didn't plant this church to play it safe. We didn't, we didn't plant this church to get this far and then say, God, we're good. We're gonna hunker down now and kind of play it safe because we've reached some kind of, uh, uh, of, of, of checkpoint on this journey and the, the future is unknown. It's not why we started this. Man, I believe the story is just gonna get better and better. I've been talking to friends about how amazing this past year has been and I believe with all of my heart, man, what we're gonna see God do over the next 52 weeks is gonna be immeasurably more than anything we could ever dream or imagine or pray for right now. God is, is that good, man, I believe that. I believe that and I, gotta, I have to believe that God likes that kind of faith. Even if all the things you have faith for, even if you never see them come to pass, I believe God looks down and says, I love that you believe, buddy. I love that you try. I love that you have faith in me enough to jump into the unknown because in the unknown is where my presence is and there's no place you'd rather be. Here's the thing, it comes with just with a few requirements, a few requirements. Here's number one, that we never get comfortable in the known. Number two, that we never lose our desperation. We never lose our desperation. Right now, we're like desperate. God, if you don't move, nobody's gonna show up. God, if you don't move, this thing is sinking. If you don't move, this is not gonna happen. I love being in a state of complete and utter dependency and desperation for God to move. And number three, that we keep taking risks that require God's intervention. Because then when they come to pass, he is the only explanation and therefore he gets all the credit. And so I submit our first step right now is, is three services and changing service times. Big deal. It's awesome. What a privilege to find out what this unknown holds for us as a church family. Amen. So God, we love you so much.
We love you so much. Jesus, the cross before us and the world behind us, stir something up within us individually, Spirit, awaken a kingdom fire and a kingdom passion inside of all of our chests, God. Light our souls on fire for your kingdom, Jesus, to actually go and live this thing out, out there, God. Give us, give us boldness when talking to, to non-believers, God. Give us courage to, to bring up the most important thing about our lives. Give us, give us courage to walk away from the things we need to walk away from and step into the things you're calling us to step into. You, you want, you, you've never wanted to take a thing from us you're only trying to give and I pray God that we would step into more life this week I pray that we would be more sold out by next week at this time not because of a Sunday but because of what happened in our lives Monday through Saturday I pray that in the powerful name of Jesus Christ and everybody said amen Red Rocks Church let's stand and let's worship